This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Intel cranks out new Xeons. And South Africa leaps to petaflops. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and joining me is Michael Feldman, the editor of Top500.org. Michael, thanks for bringing us some more stories again this week. This Week in HPC, the big news is we've got new chips coming out from Intel and all of the downstream implications that has across the industry. How about these new Broadwells? Yeah, this basically closes out uh, most of the Broadwell uh, technology. There's, these are the new E7. So these are the multi-socketed chips, the four and eight socket chips that generally go into to bigger, big iron machines or at least these large socketed servers. And in this case, uh, as in years past, they're, they're geared more towards big enterprise data analytics type workloads. But there's a lot of crossover in HPC because there's a lot of these types of applications that are in HPC and actually that's an, an expanding data set. Yeah, this is now the Xeon E7 8800-4400 series. And right. comparing to the previous Xeons, uh, the, the biggest difference to me with these is the larger memory footprint where you're talking about these larger data analytics uh, 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 applications and you want to put more data in memory, they, they've really expanded the memory capacity here, right? Yeah, they've basically doubled it up from the, the previous generation of E7, so it's it's twice as good as that, and it's twice as good as the current Broadwell E5, so it's up to three uh, terabytes per socket now. Um, and since you can get eight sockets in, in just a regular version of this, uh, you can get now 24 terabytes in basically one one box, and that's under a single system. So you have a program that has a multi-terabyte data set, and you can basically do that as a single system image without buying anything all that expensive. You don't need a, uh, a custom version of, uh, of an IBM or even an SGI where they've put all these together themselves. You can just build a sort of a vanilla system, and eight of these together gets you a very big uh, terabyte footprint. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, you get all of their their major partners uh, of of Intel servers are rolling over their product lines here uh, to incorporate the the new chips. So that's not a surprise, but it's it's probably noteworthy to look at what this means for some of the some of the uh, vendors that focus on these bigger memory configurations. I mean, we, we got the announcements from, from HPE, Fujitsu, Cisco, Huawei, Lenovo, all, all you know, Dell, all introducing new uh, Intel servers. But, uh, but with SGI and that UV line, you can really now put together some, some truly big memory systems, right? Right. And there they, they upgraded uh, sort of the the high, middle, and, and low end of the line. So they got the UV300 and 30EX systems they upgraded with these new systems uh, as of yet. I'm assuming at some point they'll upgrade the UV3000 system as well. But with the new uh, the new E7s, now you can get basically 64 of these into a, uh, into a, a system and up to 64 terabytes of memory. And that's a fairly moderate modest size system um the 300 so there's a lot of memory now and that's that's all numa um now they had to use their their numa link technology to hook those together because you're going here now above eight eight sockets but uh quite a bit more memory and then quite a bit more cores that are that are available too it's usually though the memory that 
that tends to be the sticking point of these uh, these in-memory computing, large uh, data analytics space uh, applications. Now, when we look at the competitive space here, obviously Intel has been the dominant microprocessor vendor, although we've, we've talked a lot on our podcast and throughout the industry about what, what's the emerging dynamic now between Intel and the Open Power Foundation. And what interested me in Intel's announcements here is that they did draw comparisons directly with, uh, with IBM Power, particularly with regards to the memory capacity where IBM had previously held an edge and IBM focuses a lot on these analytics types of workflows. Right. I think that, I mean, Intel's always going after the Power 8s. I think they even matched them up when they, they put out the new E5s. But here, the, you're right, they're they're going after the memory reach here. And here, they, they do seem to have the advantage, at least uh, at least for this iteration. They can go up to 3 terabytes. And I think um, the Power 8s with, with the densest DIMMs can go up to 2 terabytes. So you can start building these things, and the terabytes add up quickly. So that, I think, is their biggest edge. They... Intel's claiming they're, you know, they're a bit faster on like Intel performance, and they're also claiming they're they're cheaper to build, which may or may not be the case, depending upon, you know, what uh, what the actual deal is. But certainly on the memory reach, uh, they're going to have an advantage for the time being. In the memory capacity, but not necessarily in the memory bandwidth. And you noted this in the article you published on top500.org, talking about these new new Intel chips or Power Eight still has a significant advantage uh, over the new Broadwells in memory bandwidth. And, and that's interesting because when we look at how HPC end users are evaluating different processor architectures for their HPC workloads across a, a range of technical features, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that people consider to be important in terms of the floating point performance and the memory latency and uh, you know, multi-threading capabilities, but the top score across everything in terms of importance winds up being memory bandwidth, and that's across a, a wide range of users. So uh, IBM power is really going to stay in the conversation there as far as evaluation goes don't you think oh yeah absolutely i mean that you're right that that uh, particular metric is important for a lot of applications sometimes it is capacity you just need more you know raw memory to hold your data and and you're less concerned about the actual speed of, of what you're doing but in in a lot of cases and i would say maybe even the majority of cases that's that's a much more desired feature to have that but it's not like the intel's uh, bandwidth are slow. They've upped to two. It's, it's over 100 gigabytes per second, um, so it's quite quite a bit faster. You might not even be able to reach that uh, in your particular application, so it might not come into the mix. I mean, for these types of things, you always have to look at the application behavior and what you're doing to see right. what the uh, to see where you're going to get the, the most bang for the buck. But here, it's it's you know they're getting certainly they're getting closer to the the power eights in a lot of areas, and in some areas exceeding it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why, and this is a statistic we've cited before from this same study, that 88% of HPC users we surveyed said that they think that they're going to be supporting multiple processor architectures uh, into the future. But I like this story because in as much as we've been talking about accelerated x86 with Xeon Phi, we've talked about GPUs, we've talked about power, we've talked about FPGAs, 
talked about ARM, but you know, when we ask people their forward-looking impressions of processors for HPC, the thing that has the most favorable impression scores overall is just Intel Xeon. Now, NVIDIA GPUs are not far behind, and then you get Xeon Phi as a standalone processor behind that. But you know, just talking about the the base Xeon line and and where we're going with E7s into the future, this is you know, this is the thing that's got the biggest footprint now and the best favorable impressions going forward. And and you've been looking a little bit into the the future with Skylake and where this is going. Yeah, it looks like this could very well be the the end of the line for the E7s. That you know, the E5s are basically the two socket version, then the E7s are four and eight, and it looks like Intel is looking to combine those under a single uh, product family going forward sometime in 2007. So Skylake actually is going to be a big upgrade. Some people are saying it's going to be as big as the the Nehalem upgrade of of several years ago. They're going to put a lot more into that. I remember that one. They're talking about you know integrated Omnipath. They're talking about integrated FPGAs, integrating the uh, the AVX technology from the from the uh, the Xeon Phi line. I mean, they're going to do a lot of things interesting, uh, especially to HPC users in this next version. And it looks like they're also going to uh, blend the the E5s and the E7s together. So you'll have two socket, four socket, and and eight socket versions. And um, you know they'll be of different pricing, of course, but uh, they're all going to be under one line. It'll be more of a unified architecture. Now, historically, the two-socket systems have really dominated in HPC, but that f- those four- and eight-socket options have been increasingly considered. We've got our, our newest site census data coming in now, and we'll be able to give an update to our our clients and maybe our listeners on the uh, adoption of four and eight socket systems where we are currently in the outlook for that going forward. But meanwhile, speaking of Intel based supercomputers, there's a new one going into South Africa. South Africa speeds into the petaflop club with a new system called Lingao, which is uh, a word that means cheetah. Yeah, Cheetah, and it just looks like they they just made enough service to to get it to a petaflop. Now that's probably a peak petaflop they're talking about there. Yeah, it doesn't look like it'll be a Linpack petaflop, I don't think. Yeah, so if they've run the um, the top five hundred uh, Linpack run, I have a feeling they have for this uh, this upcoming list. It's probably going to be somewhere in the in the eight hundred or or maybe close to nine hundred range if they're if they're really good, but. Uh, it's, it's still a very impressive system, and it's a lot bigger than the system they had before, which basically topped out at 60 or 70 teraflops. So this is something close to 14 or 15 times as performant as that system. So that's really a big leap for South Africa and the, and the CHP Center there. Yeah, this is a, a new supercomputer from Dell. Now, this is over 40,000 cores of power edge systems and they're they're saying it's a thousand and thirty nine separate nodes now that doesn't quite add up because we've got a few different kinds of nodes in here and they seem to add up to a thousand thirty seven but whether it's a thousand thirty seven or a thousand thirty nine you've got a big system here and they're they're made up of a a few different types most of them are the dell power edge c 6320 servers there are a thousand eight of those and then you've got a few that are dell power edge r630s and then the fat nodes in there are power edge r930s Right, those R930s are a version of the E7s we were just talking about, but in this case, I think they were one or two uh, generations behind. But yeah, some of the 
I think those are good quad socket nodes there, but uh, yeah, they're going to call them fat nodes. They're going to stuff them with uh, a bit more memory, I think up to a terabyte there and, and get some of the data intensive work onto that sort of subcluster for of, uh, of this system. This is one of the first petaflop systems in the Southern Hemisphere. I think we you counted there's there's two in Australia now, one that that hits it on Linpack and another that's a that's a peak petaflop. But noteworthy uh, in your article that you posted on top500.org, if you look at South Africa's contributions to the supercomputing uh, uh, world relative to GDP, South Africa's a real overachiever. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, their their GDP is near. Um, is is comparable to um, Poland's actually about half the size of Poland, which is another petaflop club member, but I think it's about $200 billion less per year. And so they'll be the, basically the smallest economy with a petaflop machine on the, uh, on the top 500. I think only uh, Croatia on the whole list has a smaller economy than South Africa. So they're, they're really doing quite well. And they've actually, it's, it's not surprising. I mean, South Africa has made a big push to HPC. You see the, how many student cluster challenges they've won over the past few years. Um, they're, they've delved into it with a lot of enthusiasm. And I think they're, they're definitely what should be called an HPC overachiever. Yeah, and you really have to credit Dr. Happy Satole, who runs yeah. the Center for High Performance Computing there, and that's where this new computer is heading. Now, you talk about this as an upgrade to the Sesame system that they had before, but you know, don't forget that uh, Dr. Satole was also the champion of the redeployment of all of those Ranger nodes from TAC into different parts of Africa two years ago in 2014. Now, that didn't get moved over as a single system, so it doesn't show anymore as like a single big super supercomputer, but as those nodes were decommissioned out of Texas, uh, the, you know, the, thanks to uh, Happy's efforts there, we, we, we redeployed a lot of those systems around Africa. He's doing a lot to raise the the footprint of HPC in South Africa. Yeah, and greater Africa. And I think that's part of the, the story here. I mean, South Africa is sort of the technology leader, at least in sub-Saharan Africa, and, and they've sort of have become the, the central uh, sort of repository of of this hpc technology and they, they sort of have been able to stimulate some of the um, some of the infrastructure and research going on in this area so they've taken a lead here definitely and i think that's sort of helped why they've been able to achieve so much there they're sort of counted on as to to be this uh this nation in this uh, larger continent. Some final configuration notes on that system. It is uh, the storage is coming from Dell as well. They've got 16 Dell PowerVault MD3460s, uh, and the and the networking is through Dell, but it's a Mellanox and Finiband interconnect. And then the, also a final note is that uh, there's a lot going on with Bright Computing cluster management software. Bright has been, I think, also increasing its presence throughout high-performance computing, and in particular has been a pretty good partner in a lot of these Dell high-end deployments. Yeah, actually, I've seen Bright come up in a lot more uh, deployments lately. So I think, yeah, they, they do seem to be expanding, and it's a nice win for them down in South Africa. So uh, kudos to them. Well, I'm sure we'll hear more about it, not only at the ISC conference, but then at the annual uh, CHPC meeting uh, at the end of the year in December. They might be uh, installed by then. Do you think we'll get a good look at that system? 
I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> well, that'll be fun. We're really closing in on ISC now, and I think that's part of the reasons we're getting some of these big announcements uh, really heating up. I'm looking forward to maybe seeing more. Next week, we'll have another regular episode of This Week in HPC next week, and then uh, then it's ISC week. We might throw in a, another special episode, get an extra recording in while we're both in Germany. I think that would be great, yeah. All right, well, thanks, Michael, uh, for another pair of good stories that people can find on top500.org. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.